positive feedback loop. Everybody. Welcome to the Positive Feedback Loop Podcast, where we talk about very interesting things. Sometimes we get into a whole sorts of mess going to vocabulary, but you know what? We have fun doing it. And today, we're going to be discussing something very interesting and jumping into some of its vocabulary as well. And that is the topic of authority and how do we define authority and where does it come from and why do we agree to obey authority? Also, we'll talk about ways that we form social contracts with each other. I have formed a social contract, for example, with my friends here, Stephanie and Louise. Welcome to the show. Positive feedback loop. So I'll start off with a question. How's that? Good. Sounds good. All right. When you think of authority, what is the first color that you think of? Mm. I mean, it's going to be either green or red. I I thought blue, wow I had something red. completely different. <laughs> I mean you could you could go for purple because that's like emperor the the color of emperors. Mm-hmm. But true I don't know I think I think green or red because that's like strong men trying to like show off their power. Yeah, it's interesting. So, like, I thought of like colors, blue and red. red. Mm-hmm. I thought of blue and red for like for like political authority. I guess, poli- political authority are mm-hmm. the two sides of politics, but also. For example, the colors of, you know, um, those lights for emergency vehicles and police. Oh, good point. Yeah, the police. It's also the the colors we choose for like, yeah, and the colors that we choose for our circulatory system. You know, your blood vessels, you have your uh, veins and your arteries, and we use blue and red to denote that but i don't know if it has anything to do yeah, with authority not, at I'm all not, and I'm i think we've drifted a little bit too far down this uh this uh path so let's let's take it back a little bit authority specifically political authority yeah ray why are we talking about political authority today yeah exactly why are we talking about political authority today well one of our lovely piffles actually uh bought us a book and it sent it to to me and it was so fascinating and i thought we'd have to do a podcast about it it's called The Problem of Political Authority, and it's by Michael Humer. And I, I read it, and I think it was quite fascinating, and it gave me a vocabulary of what authority is in general and in the world. So what part would you guys like to talk about? Just for the listener, Steph and I are, have not read this book. So we are uh, but, uh, walking into this blind, but we're excited to uh, wander in with you, listener. Yeah. And you listeners should also take a gander at the book when you get a chance. So let's start with social contracts. So with... I, have a, I have a question about the book. Does the book begin by defining authority? Like what authority is, what it means to have authority? Yeah, so that's a great point. I can start off with what authority is and they define it in multiple ways there's a traditional social contract that we form right in terms of how we live with the government and how we live with corporations and how we agree that we will take our trash out to the front every friday for example or yeah it's just the social contract to you know um you know run in front of a train or something like that's 
you know, you're not expecting. There's a, there's a, there's contracts formed with society and it's always been that way. And it has changed dramatically over the years. I think this book is very focused on, um, the evolution of a th- political authority, but it also kind of jumps into the contemporary and what's going on now. So how does, um, how does authority in, for example, in the United States, how does authority function? How did it form? Because with a social contract, it's not an actual contract. We don't get born into the world right, and right. sign a piece of paper, right? There's just this understanding that for all of us to live in a civilized society, we have appointed these policemen and we appoint our political leaders and we follow laws that we all agree to, right? Absolutely. And there's a whole lineage of hierarchies there. And I, I think those are important. Those are institutions. Otherwise, we'd crumble and create nothing because we need those foundations. Uh, the argument in this book is there's a lot of uh, corruption that can come. And the problem with you know, opinion and your rights and the arguments of whose right is it to do what with whose you know, property or existence you know, is, is, is imprisonment is imprisonment just? You know, it's, it talks about questions like that. So, Ray, this is not necessarily my view of things, but someone could argue, doesn't authority just come from the guy that has the most pointy sticks? Yes, exactly. On the most primitive level, for sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's an argument that we have, we have different levels of authority as well. If you think about, for example, our, our familial, familial authority that we have, you know, your parents were a reflection of authority in your mind, maybe not. Yeah, but, you, but your parents aren't authority because they have pointy sticks. I mean, yes, they 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 can be imposing, but eventually that that dynamic shifts, right? At some point, you're going to be you know what strong enough to right. fight off your mother. <laughs> oh dear. Well, it's not about it's it's not about authority with that with uh, that experience. I would say uh, you're right. I'm thinking more the maybe. Um, educators of the system sometimes or just the participants in the education system that might have authority principles etc and you know your local government as well as your state and federal but uh it has to be more than just who's the strongest because otherwise people can overwhelm well we have there's not that many police in compared to let's say the population of new york if everyone got together and said f the popo I mean, it would be really bad. That Thankfully, that doesn't happen because people generally think it's a bad idea to do that. We don't want to mess the way things are. Things are good. And the police are there either. I mean, and that's a bit more complicated. Some people might see them uh, more negatively. But in general, we see police as like a good uh, factor in our lives. Right. So I think safe. I think generally, yes, but I think we need to recognize that the entire world doesn't run generally, and a lot of it is uh, chaotic and dangerous, and police are often just following yeah. orders. And it's I not mean, in, in some laws, countries, but the, the police are part of that chaos. System. Absolutely, yeah. but, isn't, but my point isn't that um, in a population, let's say, of millions of people, mm-hmm. with a pol- you only need a very small percentage of that population to be police to generally maintain order. Right. Just because the police and, say, the army, etc., exude yep. an idea of power and are very effective. Have you ever watched, uh, for example, how a poli- the police work 
during a, a riot or during a, um, yeah. a demonstration. Like, it's usually not that many police compared to, like, the number of demonstrators. And usually it doesn't, I mean, at least in the United States, it doesn't devolve into a firefight. But well, somehow what, they are able to maintain peace. It'll be a water fight, hmm. though. They'll spray them or something. So they, True. They in the worst cases, them. it can right. come down to that. It's a but tool. Idea, it wouldn't be wise to shoot them all down. That's going to be a problem. If they can dis disable them momentarily, let them rethink what they're doing, uh, and then realize it's just not worth it because that's what they're hoping for. But at a certain point in me in all of pre-existing civilizations before like modern ones, you know, there has been the fall of governments for that reason. Primarily that reason, right? In a way, yeah. the power shifts. Eventually, I, I think, and I, I think this, I, I would agree if this is what I think you're saying. Um, it's not just who has the most stuff that they can beat you with. It's who can exude that idea that they can beat you. And the moment that disappears from people's mind and it's overwhelmed by, say, we can fight back or we no longer want this. Uh, and there are enough of us that it's not a, we're not concerned by you. That can be that can change things very significantly. Right. That being said, ultimately, if the the army is has more men, is better equipped, and is uber potent, you're probably not going to want to fight them. So it sounds like you might be conflating though power and authority, which are two different things. So power, I, I'm thinking of how I this think, relates. I think it's to... more the projection, the projection of power is part of as part of authority. So not real power, just. You're saying the facade of power, kind of like how if you're think, more I confident, think, people take you seriously, or if you wear a yeah, suit. I think I think <laughs> you if know? you have, I think if you have the power to back up your facade, you can project a lot more power than you have. But generally, it's you're projecting at a level higher than what you actually are capable of. Like the United States can't right. literally take on the entire world, but we're but able they to project keep a that, level of peace yeah. because we project a level of, of power that people don't generally want to mess with us. So and here's, then, of course, you change the equation, but yeah. that's a whole other thing. So how I view authority is that authority is the certificate, the keys, so to speak, mm -hmm. to the doors. Uh, that it's this permitting and allowing to act in cer certain capacities and holding a stewardship in certain arenas where they don't in others. Like so, for sheriff. example, like a sheriff... They, or, or like, um, so, so a police officer, for example, he or she yeah. might be able to take certain actions in a region, but if they step outside that region into some other region, they actually have no authority whatsoever. And so, right. but d that's why for me, authority is very different from power because you can have power in yourself despite the keys that you hold. Uh, so yeah. I think of, for example, when you get a PhD, you have some type of of certification that you've been given because of the education you've received. Yeah, um, and in and that can be leveraged in many ways, like speaking as an expert on a stand at a trial, for example, that you have proven expertise in the field of microbiology. But then there are those who might have power, and this relates a lot to influence. Which I think that this episode is going to be great because it relates to so many other episodes uh like episode 30 on control uh our episode with alex straley on the dark side of leadership episode 53 and then our more recent episode 58 on influence 
And so there is this, I don't want to say a tension, but there's a balance and a difference between authority and power. So for yeah. example, I, there's a favorite comedian of mine. His name is Kellen Erskine. He says, bike locks should be illegal. And it's, he says, quote, it's insane that bike locks are legal. He says, you can just walk past a Baskin Robbins and be like, you're closed. <laughs> like just put a bike lock right on the doors and just, you're closed, right? And that's kind of the difference between power and authority. Like mm-hmm. there, a person doesn't have the authority to close the Baskin Robbins, but they certainly have the power to do so. And he gives Absolutely. another example of where he says, anybody, what does he say? You all have to show photo ID in a hobby shop to buy paint, but all of us are one Amazon click away from buying orange cones and making traffic go wherever we want. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like this idea that I don't have the authority to stop traffic. I'm not wearing the, the orange vest. I'm not a police officer or a traffic controller or anybody like that. But I could stand in the middle of the street and, st- and stop yeah. traffic, right? So that to me is that balance between power and authority. And often authority is overthrown when power, when it's off balance with power, I guess I should say. That's when you have like a revolution, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, I think power is more of an element of authority, right? And that's why I've said more specifically, like the power, projection of power, like these are elements of it. And I think Ray was it could correct be, but in breaking it's up the social contract. I think, I, like, I think part yeah. of it is also like the social pressures that come with with all the things around that authority. Uh, and what whatever vestments of authority you might put on yourself. So you define authority as you build it. I really like the analogy used, Stephanie, that it's like you're the keys to the palace or the, the gate or, you know, authority, the keys to authority. It kind of reminds me of, like, how digital certificates work and, like, you're, you're, the, you have to have the authority, certificate authority to get into a certain network, for example. Well, I think with that we should take a break and uh, come back and discuss a little bit more about authority and what we think about how it is part of our lives and other things. <laughs> Can't wait to talk to you. Listen to more episodes of Positive Feedback Loop to learn more about the human experience, business, and tech. Many topics, including jealousy, boredom, how do venture capitalists think? What is quantum internet? What's the purpose of dreams? And how social media influencers grow their influence. We are three co-hosts who all earned our MBA degrees. We come from different backgrounds and have different opinions on all these topics. We are friends who disagree with each other in every episode while learning and having fun in the process. Listen in and find us on Twitter at The PFL Podcast and on Facebook. Visit our website, pflpodcast.com. Plus... Join our VIP Telegram channel. Just go to t.me slash podcast, where we give you the opportunity to talk with us personally and get a backstage pass to what we're thinking about discussing next. And welcome back, dear Piffles. We are here, Positive Feedback Loop, talking about problems of political authority and also, I guess, the benefits of authority as well. And right now, I am going to quote from this book, The Problem of Political Authority, Michael Humer. And 
it is in chapter two, section three, the implicit social contract theory. Ex- explicit, explicit consent is consent that one indicates by stating either verbally or in writing that one consents. By contrast, implicit consent is consent that one indicates through one's conduct without actually stating one's agreement. If citizens have not embraced a social contract explicitly, perhaps they have embraced it implicitly. How can one indicate agreement without stating agreement? In some situations, one expresses agreement to a proposal simply by refraining from opposing it. I call this passive consent. Suppose you are in a board meeting where the chairman says, next week's meeting will be moved to Tuesday at 10 o'clock. Any objections? He pauses. No one says anything. Good, it's agreed. The chairman concludes. In this situation, it is plausible that their failure to express dissent when invited indicates that the boardroom members consents to the change. Yeah, that makes sense. That's kind of an example of what the difference between implicit and explicit consent is. And do we consent to be citizens? I would say yes. We have a citizenship and we agree. We sign a contract. We're like, hey, I want to be American. Boom. Well, and if you're born American, if you're not lucky necessarily. to be an American, you are given a citizenship. If you are born, born American, then it's an implicit agreement for the most part. Hmm. Exactly. So that, Well, I would that, say that it's explicit because it's written in our laws. Right. Well, until until you are, um, I think they don't you yourself about- as a child do not get to choose where you yeah. were born. Yeah. If you are, it, it is not until you have like you're old enough to say go to another country and then give up your citizenship that you would then be able to make an explicit choice. Right. You know, it'd be really interesting, guys, if there was a model in our governmental governance system in the world, if people were incentivized to actually. Um, choose where to go because at the age of 18 you have the ability to choose which country you want to be a citizen of and maybe the initial list of countries you could choose from could be small initially maybe let's say like uh you know u.s and canada or mexico or something just to like start off somewhere and in case there's like you know border children or people and then we'll have Governments will be incentivized to have really smart and sharp education systems so their kids would want to stay there. The only way that would work is if the people of those countries want to be part of a system like that, where they themselves can also leave the country and right. receive benefits. Wouldn't you always want the option? And also, they have to see the district. Like, that's complicated because people's opinion on immigration is not. Yeah, it's let's not say, cut and dry. Anywhere it's also near cultural close to dry. No, it gives yeah, people the option yeah. to leave. At least it gives people the option to leave. Well, you can't leave unless you're accepted somewhere else. It's also, right? Well, that can, list will be defined. You can't even leave and then be that, a non-citizen. One thing I want to clarify is I do understand like not having citizenship or not being a citizen of a country has its drawbacks too. You don't get any of the benefits of being a citizen. So I'm completely aware of that. Yeah, I, I just want to drive home on. Yeah. So when I think about like citizenship, for example, Ray, your point of what if we were non-citizens and then we turn 18, we choose where to go. There are a lot of similar context contexts in my life at least where i've seen these geographies be set so that we don't have problems down the line and one of those reminds me of high school boundaries where you can't just go whatever to whatever high school you want to i mean you can in many areas but when i grew up 
you had to go where your geographical boundaries indicated. So I had to go to a certain high school because I lived in a certain area, for example, uh, and until I got into a program that had me go outside of my geographical boundary. But that would have to be a special case, right? So in that sense, we have we are put with people that we wouldn't necessarily get along with or jive with or whatever because we kind of are forced to get along with, for example, our neighbors. Like some people, they choose their neighborhoods. They go, they, I want to live in, in the neighborhood with this culture or the neighborhood with these amenities, which is similar to choosing a country in a way <laughs> at a very micro it usually level. Is, I mean, and, and what you're no. saying is that usually like the right of someone who has, not the right, but the, the privilege of someone who has resources to make that sort of choice. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting because you still have some diversity. So in my church, for example, globally, if you go to any congregation in my faith, you attend the congregation to that is tied to your geographical boundaries. So sometimes there will be one church, but there's two different meeting times because there's too many people to meet at, at, the, at the one time, right? So there's one at nine and there's one at 11 or something. And... You can't choose what time you go to. You go to the 9 if you live on the west side of the city, and you go to the 11 a.m. service if you live on the east side of the city. And there are many reasons for this, but one reason they do this is so that cliques don't form. So you don't have the people who like all those other people who all mm. meet at the 9 a.m. time, and then you have the 11 p.m.s that are like the outcasts. Or they're, the, they're the unpopular congregation, and you, know, and you have these weird dynamics and then there's too many people going at nine because it's too cool it's much cooler to go at nine and nobody wants to go at 11 but then there's too many people going and you have this really interesting dynamic uh this happens with a lot of things you could probably think of other examples like this but the point is uh that i mean one reason we have these boundaries uh and these countries is that uh and there's many reasons obviously there are security reasons and language reasons even <laughs> but yeah. there's a lot of security is, like exactly mm -hmm. yeah but there's also the preservation of culture it's really interesting to look at a country like um like japan for example that has a very strong culture and you tend to see i don't know if this is true now but a few years ago i remember there was a one of the ivy leagues were recruiting trying to recruit heavily in japan because uh Japanese students weren't naturally applying to their program and they they were going to they were choosing programs within Japan and that's so interesting because then you have people uh, who are from England and they they're much more cosmopolitan in a way they they're willing to go to school in France or, or travel to Italy because it's nearby right and Japan is mm -hmm. this country that's, that's surrounded by water and so you can see how the culture is affected is by the geography. The <laughs> well, no, the UK is not as divided by water from many other countries. I mean, it is still this island, but it's Separated, very yeah. easy to well, get to France. Well, it's also more politically integrated with uh, the surrounding and region. And the European I mean, Union. With the exception that, as we yeah. speak, Brexit is happening this Friday. So, <laughs> so I think one thing to mention here, I think... Uh, a lot of this, if we talk about government and political authority, but there's also like, for example, religious political authority as well that has been like part of our psyche for millennia. 
we're describing different government models at this point, right? We're, uh, uh, Stephanie, you bring up, for example, nation states, which are governments that form uh, out of the interests of a people, right? That mm-hmm. That is what a nation state kind of is. Mm-hmm. Whereas you have, um, you know, theocracies with come about with the idea of let's continue the teachings of whatever prophet or book or, or uh, belief system mm-hmm. and let's have it be the foundation of the state. Um, where the United States isn't a nation state because there's no, like, American people that is, like, biological. There's no biological root to the American people. I would say it's a, it's a nation state. The no, states it is state. not a nation state. It is a, it is a state of states. It's a United uh, States. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, none of the... None of the so are a the nation states state nation is, states? by definition... Well, I mean, can you think of it that way? Oh, there. In terms uh, of the political authority, you would, have to, you would have to say that there is a uh, Mississippian people, and that they are all, for the most part, the same Mississippian ethnicity, and that creates the ethnic nation of Mississippi. Which that's not really how we think about the states. Uh, yeah, there are states that are, for example, like. Really white. Why is nation even then the... white is like a new thing to categorize people by because well, before is... that was like nation... a whole bunch of categories. Sorry, but nation state. Sorry, nation states is why is it, uh, why are you categorizing nation states by ethnicity? Because, though? I never well, because a nation state. Yeah, a nation state by definition is a it's a sovereign yeah. with a homogenous yeah population that's language or they have a common nationality. So yeah. that's why France it doesn't have is to considered a, a nation it doesn't state. Have to be ethnic, but... Yeah, yeah, because I mean, it's usually a culture or listen, right. uh, you take an American and you put them somewhere in Europe. They all act the same. They all act American. It's, this is absolutely wait, what? No, that's I not think true. we're pretty. That's I think a, we have a, that's we share a similar. That is absolutely uh, not true. <laughs> well, so, for example, if you like look someone at that's Japan, born in America. Yeah. But if you look someone's at Japan, born in America, well, can you tell the difference between someone born in America and someone born in Canada? Let's say they don't tell you where they're from and you say They have similar yeah. nation states. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's exclusive. No one said a nation state had to be exclusive. I think the, right. the issue here is that you the, can have, the actual definition of nation state is that the citizens uh, have this, a similar language and descent. So that they, they actually culture. So when you take a DNA test, for example, you, don't, you never come up as like 100% United States. It says or yeah. descent, so I would say right. So or, you can you can show up as part French or Iberian. You can show up yeah. as part the United African. States is made up of a whole bunch of people, way. right? Yeah, so you got I, a lot I of. Uh, fair. Uh, I accept. It's a lot of different yeah, ethnicities. I, it's a melting pot, and the thing that makes the United States uh, a union is an idea, right? It's the Constitution. That's what made it such an interesting experiment. It's a we're not all the same. But we all agree to this. Yeah, that's what and makes thus, the United States so powerful that, because and it's they're not so just, special. you know, oh, we're the same. We speak the same language and we happen to be a similar color or something. It's that we are yeah. a melting pot, but we all are bound by that social contract and that idea. And, and it just lives in us. Right. And those that don't believe in that and don't ascribe by that that system of beliefs that makes up, you know, what it is to be American, they tend to leave the country. And that's why it's also so interesting when we do make a change to the Constitution. When something does change at that level, it's a big deal and it's a difficult thing to do. And that's on purpose because we're saying as a country, we have all agreed for the most part 
this is what we want our nation to be, or not nation, our state to be, to resemble. And this is what we wanted to say. And if we're making a change to it, it's because we agreed to it as a group. It's right. not a thing. And that's why it's so hard to change, too. That's why it takes yeah. so much authority. Like, there is authority, like the key. But then there's yeah. kind of the the weight of authority. Like, maybe you need a lot of keys. Like, when you're going to launch a nuclear missile, you know, you have, like, multiple people have to put all their keys in at once. <laughs> I feel like that, like, a change to the Constitution well, is that kind of authority, where it's, like, a multi-key authority, where, like, all the people got to put their keys in. And I think we're dealing... I don't want to get... Well, yeah. one... One small asterisk there. Yeah. Um, and this is the tragedy of the United States also. Yeah. Not all the people were putting their keys in, if you get my what I'm saying. Yep. And that's uh, the problem um, with authority so, in many cases. So, guys, on a, I, I'm, I, was looking, I was looking at the most diverse countries. I'm trying to figure this out. And there are some indices that are used to determine what is the most diverse countries. And I'm seeing Canada actually being more diverse, India being more diverse, uh, Qatar being more diverse than the United States. Qatar kind of makes sense because Qatar, I think, a large portion of their of their population is workers from a, from abroad. Yeah, and- I don't know. I don't even actually trust this because it looks like the United States is like there's like. It also depends depends how they're defining diversity because it's it's like um. Well, it could be language. It could be yeah. race. It could be like what what does white status, mean, right? <clears throat> yeah, right. there's there's a lot of ways you could define it. Oh, it's just based on language. Uh, gives you the probability of two oh. people selected at random from any one country speaking the same language. Hmm. Oh, then. But it doesn't what? talk that cultural stuff. So, I guess um, that was by the tangent. Europe has a lot of, of people who speak who are polyglots. So, uh, I mean, I know I'm in America. Most right. people just speak one. Uh, English and that's well, maybe to do some business Spanish. in Europe, you have to speak multiple languages. It really yeah. is. It's interesting because people see Europe as, uh, well, I would say Western Europe as kind of a, a unit that functions as a, as like as a unit. Well, that's a very. They also see thing. the parts, but that's a very recent thing, and that's right. thanks to the EU. Before that. We had World War One and World War Two. Oh yeah, <laughs> and then all Good the point. wars before that. <laughs> but it's it's interesting yeah, so how we've changed how we look point. at Western it's, Europe. Yeah, it's actually a great point. Bring up the wars that we've been in and like the situations, the violent situations we've uh, been in it through as, as a society, as a cultural or civilization in the world. You know, just humans, Homo sapiens. So if you think about that. How does authority play out in war? Because that's very important. And if you look back in history, it does not play well. I don't think it's a very fair approach to human life. Mm. And, I mean, and if you, you mean, think like, about it, in a military, as in like, uh, they were literally the epitome of we have the most sticks. Well, so here's let's go back to the most sticks point. Actually, I was just listening to the audible version of of Adam Grant's. Power Moves, Lessons from Davos. And mm-hmm. there was this fascinating part of his, I don't want to call it a book because it's really, it's an audio experience where he interviews people at Davos. But in one of his interviews, it was so interesting. It used to be winning a war-wise that you had to have enough people in a social contract together that they could afford a military. 
and that they could afford the guns That's and true. the biological weapons and whatever it is to go out and do whatever. Now, uh, he noted, or maybe the person he was interviewing, noted that a person with no affiliation or, or a group of people that don't necessarily have that type of a nation state or a government or even any authority figures at all can get together, become terrorists, and start wars, in, in, in essence, um, or, or propagate warlike actions. Or what, propagate violence is what propagate you're Propagate violence, but not, I'm not talking street violence, I'm talking like they can try to bring down a nation, and you see this in terrorist activities against the United States, where sometimes they're nations, but sometimes they're like a, an unauthorized group of people, and maybe it's a cyber yeah. attack. So the idea of authority is actually dismantling when it comes to terrorism and war and violence, where well, authority is no longer needed to ha- make that happen, which is scary. Warfare has changed significantly in the amount of power that one person can wield, one lone wolf can wield compared to, say, um, back in the day. And that came starting really with, with firearms. I mean, back in the day, you needed, mm-hmm. uh, you had to be really good with a bow, which required training, or really good with a sword, which required training, or, well, you had a pointy stick, which was a spear, and was like the simplest thing. But also, if you weren't somewhat trained, you probably you were probably going to die on the first day on the field. You were probably just a peasant or some other uh, worker that was w- fighting seasonally. Fights for like the b- biggest majority of history. Most wars were seasonal. They were they like weren't waged during certain parts of the of the year, so that people could go back to work. You know, tilling the soil, um, and it or collecting the harvest. It was a difficult enterprise, and one person wasn't really going to do that much damage. Like one dude with a sword could do a lot of damage in like an area, but yeah. The, you know, right? That the, the casualty list was probably not going to be super high. Now, a person with an explosive device, a drone, and some planning can do a massive amount of damage. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be taking bringing down a country, though. I mean, a military, sir, the militaries of an of a nation are usually much significantly more well armed and, and organized than, say, a person that can do damage. These people will more create a sort of. Uh, exude fear and change the general tenor of conversation in a nation, then they would bring it down. Like, I don't fear, I don't think that any of us are are afraid that the United States is going to come down because of Al-Qaeda or ISIL or whatever. Yeah, no, I think I agree. And I think it's really uh, dangerous to think about right now for that. You, you talk about the lone wolf. There's so much social media potential these days that it makes it even more of a threat. And I think these are threats. They're serious threats. And I think that's why a lot of governments in the world protect themselves with, you know, really solid military foundations, institutions, as well as cybersecurity institutions. And I think that's all important. And I think the idea here is where is the the line between your right as a human being and a political authority coercing you using violence. You know, there are people that get stuck in the middle. It's not nothing is they just have their, you know, life they're trying to live, but they're in the middle of a, a war. They're used as pawns. And I think that's the issue. I think and these people don't want to be part of either a country. They're just like this is basically a fight between really high up people 
trying to make decisions for their political interests. And I think that's sad. I think that sucks. Well, we could bring it down to a level that maybe people experience in another dimension of life. Because when you describe that, I think of how powerless those people must feel, especially in those nations where the citizens are constantly fighting for their lives because they're the government, those that have authority are corrupt. And I think people experience this at work too. Uh, when you have someone who wields authority in a, in a, in a manner that might not seem exactly moral. Uh, I think of how in grad school, for example, there are professors that assign grades not based on merit, but based on who they like or who is like them, or they might, well, that, you know, that's difficult to, they're that's wielding difficult authority, to like. right? Yeah, it's hard I mean, and it's okay. hard to fight that. And, uh, so there's, there's, that's actually, when I think of problem, like problematic authority, I think higher ed is one of the top industries with the most corrupt authority sometimes. And it, it depends on the school, but, uh, I, I would put that at the top, um, you know, <laughs> one of the top. But you know, in Hi, business, but what you is get your, past. But what is you want blast higher ed? But I think when you know, you know, what experience do you have? Though I would say it would be fair to say that if you've had like experiences in the military and also in mm-hmm. um, the government or maybe in like industry, like industrial engineering and the power plant, different dynamics are everywhere. So I'm just saying, like, yeah, that's true. I'm taking I'm, that I'm, with a grain of salt. I think but. I think the problem though is that you know when you experience that in an in a vocational industry it's just as unfortunate but it doesn't involve as much authority when you're when you're in higher ed for example when you experience that abuse of power or that abuse of authority I should say what you're dealing with is how it affects your credentials that you need to gain yourself authority in the world higher ed has a lot of power with their authority because you have to get a master's or a PhD to be credentialed in, you know, you have to get your Juris Doctorate to practice as a lawyer at all. You have to get an MD to practice as a doctor. And so they wield authority over your entire career to, to go into Mm, any of those fields, right? The grades that you get can in college can basically determine what kind of a grad school you get in later. Like there's so much, power in higher ed and that professors have that sometimes I look at higher ed and I I feel sick to my stomach honestly <laughs> it's it's really and the and the things that I've seen in, in you know the experiences of myself or my friends or my colleagues it's it can be dangerous stay in does school, it get kids. worse <laughs> but stay in school <laughs> from the book from the Davos book uh that Adam Grant wrote the power moves book he said, he said, power disinhibits and amplifies us. And if you really want to know what a man, if you wish to know what a man really is, give him power. So when I think about authority, I think about the impeachment trial. And I'm not going to get political here. And we're not going to talk about whether it's a good thing or a bad thing or what our opinions are on that. But the impeachment trial is interesting and relevant because this is the impeachment trial for Trump. But it's interesting because an impeachment is a taking away of those keys, the authority, mm. right? That's that's what they're trying to do at this point. 
those who want to impeach Trump. And well, he has been impeached already. Or yes, he has been impeached, and now he's going How to the trial. How do you remove him from office? How do you remove him from office? Yes, and that is yeah. the removal of his authority, his office that he holds, which is interesting because Trump is one of the most powerful and influential people, and by removing him from office, you won't necessarily remove any power or influence. You just remove the keys that he might be turning. So I think that this discussion is super relevant right now yeah i think you do more than just taking away like the title of the office you take away for example his ability to on a whim declare nuclear war which is a key a key he can turn yeah it's yeah yeah, i'm not saying that yeah it's one of the keys he could turn not saying that's like a likely thing to happen but anyone that is removed from office immediately loses a whole lot of power that goes along with that not just influence. Now, he, he'll still have a voice, or he would still have a voice where he removed, uh, and it's a very loud voice, and it would be a lot on Twitter. I don't know, depending on, obviously. But it's not just any... loud. It's very Can... influential, right? Whether you would agree with him thing. or not. Can you... it's, also, it's also a protection for him, because it also protects him f- uh, from prosecution once he is no longer president. So, so long as he keeps hold of office... He's also protected from further legal troubles. So it's it's actually really interesting how this is both... Um, he's all in. It, yeah, he's, he's just all in. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it, you know, this is where our discussion on authority really comes becomes something that's tangible. happening. It's tangible. We can see a struggle with a very... Uh, a very large key, you know, <laughs> happening. Yeah. And where where does it fall between... Uh, the people who are making these decisions today, where does the authority come from for them? Does it right. come from their constituents, the Constitution, the Constitution and the constituents, via the their constituents via the Constitution, rather? Hmm. Uh, or does it come from the, peop- the, the lobbyists? Or does it come from uh, whatever media groups they might want to keep in their favor? Or does it come from the president himself? Is so that where One thing I've learned, from? and people have uh, always told me, that you got to follow the money because that's where there's action and that's where you can find out and investigate what's going on really it's you know you follow the trail and i think but it's not always uh, money it could it can be reputation it can well, be well in this case relationships in this case the whole the whole thing is sure. miswielding of influence isn't that the whole idea behind the impeachment hearings Right. The idea that he has a certain amount of power and has chosen to wield it in a way that goes counter to the whims, to the uh, desires or the well-being of the American people. And that's one of the main well, points. That's getting political now because. Well, no, I'm just that's I, I'm, an opinion, I'm not saying right? whether that has been. Uh, but that is the that reason is the, this the, is that happening. That is the, is what the is presented before the American people. Yeah. The trial. Yeah. But, but before the Senate, not before the American people, the American people don't get a say. <laughs> Well, they do. <laughs> they're represented anyway. <laughs> yeah, they're represented. But you also got to look at like other countries and how they see it and, and see it as a as a way of like what, you know, they might be questioning authority themselves. Like how would a U.S. president be out of office, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's a sign of instability. And I think for a, a country like ours to be instable, um, you know, it's just like a, What's a juxtaposed ideas like that come together? You don't really see it very often. A paradox. It's like a paradox. The U.S. 
president being impeached is a paradox in the, I think, psyche of the national mind. Well, there's been an impeached president before, so it's yeah, not like true. it's a new thing for us. But I, I think what we you're saying. We have removed president though. We have not removed a president. Yeah. Uh, although we have had a president be assassinated, so we've known what it is to lose a president, and and then well, you've got you know different. you've got the show that's, designated survivor. <laughs> usually, usually when a president is assassinated, it's seen as a bad thing by most people, and most right. people tend to if anything, feel more patriotic and right. tend to feel more positively disposed towards the recently deceased president. When a yeah. president is forced out of office because it's of a malfeasance, different, it's, a different it's a very different flavor. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. And that's why you have to have a, you know, a, a good majority. You can't just have 51%. You have to have a much larger majority to remove a president from office because it, it is such a serious decision. And it can't be a decision of how are they well, physically going to remove his office? Well, not not his office, just him no, from office. Him, his, an office is a is the role. The office of president is not the physical office. Uh, yeah, I know, but I, what I <laughs> what well, I mean is, so the Pope's authority being, comes from the Holy See, not from himself. Will he be taking all his mm -hmm. staff with him? Will his staff be like, okay, well, I guess we're out too. So, well, how, it depends, so, depends. so then the it vice president who, comes in. Yeah, it would depend the, on well, the, the person the vice president would take over, right? Wouldn't yeah. that be the I, it, unless the, the, the vice president also w were to be impeached and then removed which there's no trial for him there's yeah, no if we're going to be implicated that would that would be a potential possibility well, which but, could happen but i don't know how they would do it fast enough <laughs> for the yeah. before yeah, the exactly. term ends <laughs> I, i'm with stephanie that's the thing there are layers of protection for both sides the, our, yeah. the citizens and as well as for the president right because you have layers of legal uh work that needs to be done and investigations well, and I think that's the something... should never be an arbitrary matter. It should never be easy. Like, unless sure. it's, unless the president has literally gone onto Fifth Avenue and murdered someone. In which case, I hope it's fairly easy. Fascinating And stuff. with that cheerful note. <laughs> and I'd like to say, I think maybe we're just uh, going to about wrap it up right now. And thank you all. We really appreciate you listening to the Positive Feedback Loop today. I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Uh, we went around authority and talked about many parts of it, uh, defined it a little bit. And I just wanted to thank my hosts here as well and Stephanie and Luis. And if you are interested in listening to more, check out other episodes. Check out our website. You can see us on all the socials. And take care, everybody. As always, stay crazy. crazy.